God's Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As the circumstances of the world become more extreme and confusing, we must tune our ears to the voice of our Heavenly Father. His revelation is essential to navigate the road ahead. Welcome to Current Affairs with Sam Soul. So let's, let's dive into the third six. Cain, the picture of a man out of rest, the sweat of his brow, the tiller of the ground. He's not at rest in his relationship with God because even though he's shown the path of repentance, instead of choosing that, he elects to murder his brother, which is to do what? It is to do away with the standard and to establish your own standard. So he establishes the standard by which God might be approached as the standard of the works of your hands. Anyone engaged in this economy of the works of your hands, labors outside of God's rest. That is why this fourth beast of Daniel 7 is known for controlling your ability to buy and sell. We cannot buy or sell. What is the relevance of the mark, the name, and the number? And the placement of one or more of those, or at least one, on the forehead and on the right hand. What is the forehead? Why why are the sons of God given the mark of God? mark the name of the Father, to be specific, upon their foreheads. It has to do with what's going on in your mind, what kind of a mind you have. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ. And that mind that is in you that was in Christ is one that submits to the Father, who who engages in the posture of tetimi, which is the manner in which we hypostasis, we stand under in the anticipation that lying down as if we are dead, the picture of rest, we expect and we anticipate God standing up as Himself in our circumstances. The rest we're invited to enter into is that, a guarantee of the Kingdom of Heaven, a guarantee of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Cain was out of rest. Cain was not in Shabbat. Cain was not in the Sabbath. Even if he kept the Sabbath as Israel did in the wilderness, it is still possible to physically keep the day without ever entering into God's rest. 
Now I'll come to that in a moment. But let me set up how the beast of Daniel 7 moves into the book of Revelation, the 13th chapter, and establishes this global hegemony in which no man may enter into God's rest to complete the three sixes, the laboring and toiling of man. Let me say it again. The numbers 6, 6, and 6 are not a mathematical formulation. They are how you perceive the beast, how you perceive the activities of Satan who from the beginning in the garden that ancient serpent moved to get man to be out of God's rest. Eden was a type of God's rest. Toil, coming out of rest, going back to when God worked in the sixth day, when God was at work, stepping back into work, is to step back into the sixth day, to step out of rest. It is possible to step out of rest. We, we, in fact, we are admonished to make every effort to labor to enter into His rest, which is to say the laboring is in the sixth day, rest is the result of exiting the sixth day and taking our residence in the seventh day, which is a state of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, the terms descriptive of life in the Kingdom of God. That's when you become a dweller in heaven. You are no longer a dweller in the earth. Now, so Daniel in chapter 7 of the book of Daniel, saw this great image. Here is how he describes it. Four great beasts, this is verse 3 of Daniel 7, four great beasts came up out of the sea, each one different from the other. We've already read about the lion with the eagle's wings and tied it right into Nebuchadnezzar, and showed the relevance of why the wings were plucked off so he could not ascend to the heavens, why he was cast down for seven years, had the heart of a beast, a ravenous beast one might add, and finally he stood, he was made to stand on his feet. You notice that? He was made to stand on his feet as a man. He saw himself as soaring in the heavens. He was made to stand on his feet like a man. And when he was restored, a man's heart was given to him. Clearly depictive of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, the man himself. Now, there's a second beast, a bear that raised itself up on its side and he had three ribs in his mouth. Uh, this is descriptive of the Persians who, whose law 
required that if any infraction were made against the king's authority, the king's authority, that not only would the person be killed, his family would be killed, his entire village would be killed. This brutish beast, ravenous beast, bloodthirsty in the extreme. After this I beheld another beast like a leopard which had four wings on its back, four wings as a fowl, and this beast was given dominion. Now the dominion that this beast was given was over the whole earth. This of course is a reference to Alexander the Great who moved as swiftly as the combination of a leopard, uh, we'd think of it as a cheetah, who could move faster than a lion, faster than a bear. Alexander with 30,000 men destroyed the Persian army of more than a half a million men and he did so by moving with lightning speed. The four great kingdoms or the four, the four eagle's wings represented those who came, who took over his kingdom after he died. He had four generals who were leaders of his campaign and these successors included uh, Cassander, Cassander, one of his generals, who ruled Macedonia and Greece, um, Lysimachus, Lysimachus, who ruled Thrace and Bithynia, Egypt was ruled by the general with the last name Ptolemy, so Cleopatra of Egypt was not an African woman, Uh, Cleopatra of Egypt was a Greek woman, she was descended from uh, Ptolemy who was one of the Greek generals of Alexander the Great and Syria which included Jerusalem or Israel as one of the provinces of Syria was ruled by Seleucus. Seleucus. It was one of the one of the Seleucid kings, Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus appearing as God, who in 160 years after, uh, 160 years before Christ, he offered a pig on the altar in Jerusalem and sparked the Maccabean revolt. So these three preceding kingdoms were predatory but then there was a fourth kingdom and this is what he said about it. After this I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast, dreadful, terrible, exceedingly strong, with iron teeth and bronze claws that crushed and devoured its victims. It was different from all the other kingdoms, it had ten horns. As I was considered it, Considering this, uh, there came up among them another little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots 
and behold in the horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Now, we could go on and read the rest of this, I've done so in previous broadcasts, but I want you to see something as to how all four beasts are amalgamated into one in the book of Revelation, the 13th chapter. I stood upon, John is now speaking uh, some 700 years after the writing of the book of Daniel. He said, I stood upon the sea, this is in the book of Revelation, the apostle John is writing, I stood upon the sand of the sea and I saw a beast, a beast, rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his head, heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw, so he's talking about one beast, was like unto a leopard, that's one of the other three from Daniel, feet like those of a bear, and the mouth like that of a lion. Now, so the beast, ten horns, is not different from the character of Babylon. It is, in fact, Babylon itself is subsumed in this great beast, like the lion is subsumed in, in the beast of seven heads and ten horns. All of, the, of these kingdoms continued to possess the spirit of Babylon until it reached its apogee in this final great kingdom. Now, this kingdom made its entrance into the world as this kingdom in the days of the Roman kings. The mistake often is made of thinking that it was exclusively the Roman Empire, the classic Roman Empire. Anybody with any smattering of understanding of history knows that the Roman Empire, after it fell, as a political empire, re-emerged as a religious empire. Constantine amalgamated the church and the state as one entity, collapsing them together he made the church secondary to the state. The church had to give an account to the state for the power given to the church by Constantine following the Council of Nicaea and the reduction of the Christian faith to creedal forms, creating an empire, creating a church-state nexus, beginning to produce the harlot. 
because it would require the church from that point on to justify its authority to state power. But then again, the mystery is this. There was a switch in the year 1000, well after the New Testament had been written. The the classic Roman Empire fell by the 5th century. The political empire ended. But what must be observed is that that was not the end of the Roman Empire because the spirit of Babylon continued. On Christmas Day, you ought to find that strikingly coincidental, Christmas Day, the year 1000, the Pope in Rome, harassed by the by the the Lombard Germans and cut off in general, choked and strangled, the Vatican being choked and strangled by the Lombard Germans, appealed to then the second king of the Carolinian dynasty of the Frankish Germans of the French. The first of these Carolinian kings was called Pepin, Pepin I. He did what his father before him chose not to do. His father before him was a steward of the Merovingian dynasty, which was the prior dynasty of of France, established as far back as Gregory of Tours, that's for another history lesson. Pepin accepted the Pope's invitation to, to replace the Merovingian dynasty with his own dynasty called the Carolinian dynasty. He had become popular, Pepin I had become popular because his father and the grandfather of Charlemagne, the grandfather Charles the Hammer, Charles Martel, had stopped the advance of Islam while he was knocking at the doors of Paris. The the Merovingian dynasty was weak. Uh, Charles Martel, Charles the Hammer, displayed great military brilliance and persistence and saved Christendom from Islam, from the advance of Islam. The Pope seeing that and knowing that his son, now Charles the Hammer, chose not to take over, not to usurp the Merovingian dynasty. The Pope, however, abandoned the Merovingian dynasty and invited Pepin, the son of Charles Martel, uh, to become the first of the Carolinian kings. His son, Charles the Magnificent, 
These fellows had very demurring, uh, very um, muted names and titles, you know, Charles the Hammer or uh, Charlemagne, Charles the Magnificent. Anyhow, he was invited to come to Rome uh, on Christmas Day in the year 1000 and the Pope anointed him King of the Holy Roman Empire and he became the first, quote, Christian Emperor of the holy, of the newly rebooted, newly restored religious empire which continued to draw upon state power for its survival. And of course, Constantine did what was expected of him and suppressed the Lombards and generally gave access uh, to the papacy of all of the domain of Charlemagne, which by the time of his death represented a rebooting of Europe and more particularly much of the, the lands once held under the sway of the classic Roman Empire. That happened in the year 1000 AD. See this mortal wound that was struck at the cross, one of the, one of the heads of the beast, the mortal wound had been healed. And so now this represents the, the return of and the, the amalgamation of church and state as one entity to continue on from there. So this beast began accurately depicted as having been begun in the time of the Romans. As Daniel himself had said in Daniel chapter 2 verse 44, the first vision of four kingdoms. He said, in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. And indeed the kingdom of heaven did come to the earth in the time of the Roman kings. In fact, the day of Pentecost occurred in the reign of the Roman emperor uh, um, Tiberius. Jesus was born in the reign of Augustus, Octavian, Caesar, and was crucified in the reign of Tiberius, Caesar. He ascended to heaven and on the day of Pentecost the kingdom came in the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit and it has been on earth since and so has the opposition. The destiny of the kingdom of heaven is to break in pieces, consume all other kingdoms and to stand forever. Now, so this fourth kingdom is seen again in the book of, Dan, in the book of Revelation, having been previously seen in the book of Daniel and it is classic to the continuation of the spirit of Babylon. And this is the third six. This is the third iteration of those who refuse to enter into God's rest and who ask for another economy by which men may be entrapped and enslaved.
so you can't buy or sell without the permission of the spirit of Babylon manifested in this kingdom going back to the double-mindedness of Nebuchadnezzar as the epitome of religion. It assumes there is a God but it also assumes that it can access God by the works of its hands. The Tower of Babel from which the name Babel came and then the man who works, tills the soil by the sweat of his brow because he's under the curse of a man who has separated himself from his father inasmuch as such a man inasmuch as such a man has left God's rest and stepped back from the seventh day, from God's Sabbath, from God's rest and stepped back into his, an economy characterized by the sweat of his brow. Why do we think God is offering us the antidote to uh, being the alternative to being caught up in the economy of the beast? Why do we think God is offering us the alternative economy of entering into His rest? Ceasing from our labors, living in foundational and fundamental trust of God. Why is this one of the two first stated elementary doctrines? The first being repentance from acts that lead to death. That's what entraps you in the mindset that makes you a captive to the economy of the beast. If you can control the supply upon which people's lives depend, you can control them. How do you control them that way? You control them systemically. Systemically, you control the systems upon which mankind uh, 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 depend, depends. So these, the, the kingdom, this seven-headed monster, seven heads and ten horns represent the seven systems of the cosmos and they are easily understandable. They have to do with such things as culture, religion, economies, education, the supply of health, medicines, these are the seven, these are among the seven systems of the cosmos. They all require you to, play, to pay loyalty and fealty to them as if your life depended on it. God used the example of Israel out of God's rest, wandering in the wilderness. And in the book of Hebrews, we are told that we should labor to enter into His rest, a thing that is described as the foundational act of faith. The elementary doctrine is to turn first from acts that lead to death, from the acts motivated by the fear of provision and protection and to turn to 
faith toward God, which is described as lying down in the certainty of who God is, as one lying in a sepulchre behind a stone that is described as a shield of faith. All these things and more I have taught over and over again over the years. So now you know the number of the beast. It's the number of man out of rest. It is the three sixties that signify the three occurrences recorded in Scripture in which man is required to step out of rest, going back to the sixth day, having been in the seventh day. No, it's not a number, it's not in the sense of a mathematical construct, it's about a way of life. And you can therefore perceive, perceive the number of the beast. Wherever man is out of rest, you'll see the beast. In this time, the three sixes mean it's fully grown up, it's no longer type and shadow, it's fully grown up and its hegemonic control is over all the earth. You should no longer be captured by the foolishness of men who are trying to identify an individual as the beast. The beast is a kingdom. The spokesman of the beast may be an individual, a false prophet, one who speaks like a, uh, he looks like a lamb but speaks like a dragon. Whoever you hear selling you stress, whoever you hear trafficking upon your fears, motivating you by, fearful, by painting scenarios that have you gobbled up in fear, these are part of the spirit of Babylon. These are agents of the beast. This is, they're inducing you to step out of rest back into the sixth day. If you think about that for just a moment, you will see right now both politicians You'll see right now both politicians and preachers alike selling you fear. Do not buy it. Do not buy it. These are not people to be listened to. This, these are things you should know now and you should know in this time. I'll have much more to say as we go on into the 14th chapter of the book of Revelation. Stay with me as we conclude this study. Blessings. I'm Sam Solon. Bye-bye.